Well, I'd like to pray with you for a moment together as we look into God's Word. Let's pray. Oh, I was just deeply struck by the words we were singing lifted right from Scripture. I think of Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. And we feel deeply unworthy, and we are. But because of Christ, we're acceptable in your sight. The one who is absolutely pure welcomes us in. And we are deeply humbled and deeply grateful for that. We are so appreciative of the fact that you don't just let us stumble around in life hoping for the best. But you care about us, kind Father. You died for us, Lord Jesus. You point us to truth, Spirit of God. Thank you that you're here, Spirit of God. We pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit. We sang the God who was and is to come. This is, I think, the most profound reason we know you're there, that you are eternal, that you are the eternal something out there that brought all there is into being. And our frail, limited human minds cannot wrap our mind around the idea of eternity. And it's one of the reasons we know you're God. And so we welcome the opportunity to hear from you today. We pray that you would speak first to me, but to each one of us here in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can well imagine that if I did, those of you that are dating or are engaged or are married... Many of you would raise your hands if I said, when you think about your special someone, are they significantly different than you? Because opposites often attract. We know this. Not always, but often opposites attract. He's a spender. She's a saver. She's a night hawk. He's up at the crack of dawn. One of them likes this kind of show. The other likes that kind of show. She just wants a car that works. He wants this year's latest model of truck. She likes adventure and travel. He has never ventured outside the borders of Alberta. Opposites often attract. People that are different than us. And of course, later, as much as that attracts us initially, later... This can, also, this can often become like a source of significant conflict and arguments. Can I suggest, and I'd like to today, that God often uses these differences to uh, refine us personally, to lead us to a holier life. But it also gives great opportunity to have an incredibly strong relationship with that person that you're maybe going to marry or you're getting engaged to or that you are married to. Now, of course, Satan, his whole goal is to try and use those differences to drive a wedge and to divide and conquer. And so today in our series on relationships, and the title of this series is Me, We, Us, we're going to talk about partnerships. And the first week we looked at the issue and the idea of singleness and 
and we talked about all the different kinds of modes of singleness, and I probably didn't even cover them all, but there's some people that are deeply content and are called by God, and, and they're going to, their understanding would be they'll be single the rest of their life, high levels of contentment. Some people, it's, 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 it's a sense source of great mourning, and they can't understand why God has put them in this position. And some people um, are single and are very content, but they will look to get married one day. And there's all kinds of people in all kinds of different situations. And we looked at the idea of how can we navigate being single in a God-honoring way, in a way that's really best for us. And we said emphatically from Scripture that God never said that to be normal is to be married. He never said that. In week two, we talked about priorities. We talked about becoming the person you're looking for. So whether you're single or dating or married, we said most important is that God is our number one and that our spouse, if we're married, is our number two. Most important, humanly speaking, and number three, if we have children, they are number three. Last week, we talked about pursuing And we looked at this really beautiful story from Scripture of pursuit. And there's all kinds of side things going on in that story. But we focused on this beautiful image of pursuit, of sacrificing significantly for the person that you love. And what are we doing to pursue? And then we talked about some really practical things from Scripture that you can do to to pursue that special someone in your life. And really grow the potential of warming their heart. Today, we want to talk about we, not me. We want to talk about we, not me. And we want to talk about partnerships. And from this moment on in our covenant relationship, if we're married, to be reminded and to be renewed in the idea that it's till death do us part. And as we do that, when you have that kind of mentality, you start to appreciate deeply that life is not about me, 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 me. Contrary to most of the messages you hear in our world, it's not about me. Life is about us together. It's about us glorifying God and loving each other. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament the first historical, factual biography of the life of Christ. And we're going to see Jesus reiterating the truth and and, and sort of commenting commenting on it a bit from Genesis chapter 2. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. Before I read those verses, I want to say something, though. And... I've really prayerfully tried to prepare this message, and I wanna, I'm asking God to help me to say it with deep sincerity, and I hope with significant sensitivity, because I know there's people that are listening this morning online, or people in the church here right now that have experienced the pain and the brokenness of divorce, and I've heard some of your stories. And I know that many of you would say, I didn't want that. I would have done anything for it to not happen. I tried as hard as I could, but they insisted there was nothing I could do. I couldn't stop them. Wish I could have, but I couldn't. 
and now I'm divorced. And there would be some of you that would say, I did some things wrong. I was at fault in some or even many ways, but I have come before God. I've humbled myself. I've worked through those issues. I've asked him to forgive me where I did wrong. And he's forgiven me. And he's bringing healing in my life. And so I want to say very clearly this morning, my heart is not about creating guilt or condemnation for what took place in the past. And I understand that there is complete and full healing available in God through Christ. So I'm not looking to look to the past this morning. What I'm trying to do, the whole goal here is to say, what are some, some biblical foundational structural stuff that we can have in place and commit to and perhaps recommit to so that marriages in the future will not just last, but will be God-honoring, will be as healthy as possible, and also will be generational changing as we go forward. That there will be the generation that's watching you and say, that's the kind of marriage I want to have. So having said that, let's read what Jesus says. The, the, you know, the bad boys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees are at it again, trying to attack Jesus, try to have a go at him, try to embarrass him, whatever. They don't like him. So he, they ask him a question in verses 1 to 3, but he says to them in verse 4, Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? There's that concept again. We keep coming back to that. In the beginning, the one that created it all, he made them male and female. Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And here's what Jesus adds, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. How do we live this out in this world? Like, I mean in the real world. Well, I'm going to suggest we need to start, first of all, with an understanding of what biblical marriage is. Because it's one that's basically not portrayed in the culture. It's very, very different, biblical marriage, than what is thought about, what is portrayed, what is presented in the secular realm. And sadly, in the minds of many in the church. So people will say things like this, or they're thinking things like this, and you've heard people say things like this, I certainly have. Well, marriage is just a piece of paper. And they may not say it, but they're thinking it. So really what they're saying to you when they say that or when they think that is they have this idea and they've been influenced by the culture that marriage is just a contract. It's something that a lawyer, a justice of the peace, a judge helps arrange. Biblical marriage is not a contract. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not a contract. Biblical marriage is a covenantal relationship before holy God. And there is a vast difference between the two. 
So what's a contract based on? A legal contract, you know, it's a positive thing in some senses because it's an attempt to communicate and be clear about expectations between two parties. Let's try and get this in writing so we know what we're supposed to do. But in a very real sense, a contract is based on mutual distrust. It's really written from my perspective to protect me. I really don't know you all that well. I don't know if I can take your word. And so it makes good sense for us to sign a piece, a legal document, to stipulate to your faithfulness. And if you are not faithful to me and to the terms of our agreement, I have recourse against you. In a sense, I'm insulating and trying to protect myself. And again, there can be some real positive things to that, but at the heart, this is what a contract is. So for example, you rent a property, you sign a contract, you agree to pay a certain amount on a certain day for a certain length of time. And if you don't pay, you don't stay. The contract's very clear. Don't pay, don't stay. And the landlord stipulates that I will provide certain things and I will have the house in certain condition. And if they don't do that, you have legal recourse against them. A covenant is completely different. Biblical covenant and biblical marriage is a vow to do something. It's an unconditional commitment to love and to serve. Basically, it's written, and here's the key difference, for the benefit of the other. Basically, it's written, undertaken rather, for the benefit of the other. It's not about protecting me. The commitment is permanent. It's like the covenant God has established with us through the sacrifice of Christ. It has overtones like that. The contract, like a legal contract, it tries to be positive, but it really describes in detail what failure is going to look like. A biblical covenant is a pledge and it's a vow basically for the benefit of the other. Now I understand you cannot control what the other person does. This is not some license for them to abuse you. God never tolerates sin anywhere in the book. Okay? So I understand you cannot control what the other person does or doesn't do. Uh, I, you can't control how they're going to respond. And you may covenant and they may up and leave. They may not respond in a reciprocal covenantal manner. I understand that. In the Old Testament, whenever a covenant was created, there would be the shedding of blood. And sometimes they would take an animal, they would take a bull and actually cut the bull in half. And the Mary, as the couple was being married, they would walk through it. And it was symbolic that the two now have become one. In the New Testament, the new covenant was undertaken by Jesus the Lamb. And I use that language very carefully. He is the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And he made this sacrifice, not because it was good for him, <laughs> but it was for the benefit and the sacrifice of all of us. 
So the image of biblical marriage has ties to that. Covenantal, heterosexual, monogamous marriage. This is what Jesus says. This is what Moses wrote in Genesis. This is what the Apostle Paul refers to in Ephesians. Heterosexual, monogamous, covenantal relationship. Very, very different path than what many people would consider normal in our world. Let me just say to you, if you come to talk to a pastor in this church, this is what we're about. I'm going to just tell you, real blunt, okay? And you want to get married or you're already married and there's some issues that need to get ironed out in your relationship surrounding your existing marriage, we, will, we may not use this exact terminology, but we will talk to you and the mindset is covenant, not contract. And it's going to sound really different than you might hear in many places in our world. We will talk to you in terms of covenant, not contract. We will talk to you about the fact, if you're thinking about getting married, you are about to enter into a covenant and a commitment that's all the way. That's for the benefit primarily of the other. And if you want to get married here, that's what we're about, because We're trying to do what Jesus tells us to do. And if you're married and there's some bumps, we're going to talk to you about recommitting to a mindset and to a commitment of covenant in your relationship. And instead, and we hear this, you know, from different, I'm not just pastors, but we hear this kind of stuff, quite contrary stuff, quite frequently, and we're exposed to it quite frequently. And it kind of sounds like this. We want to do married things before we're married. We want to do married things before we're married. And so then we hear language like this. It may not sound exactly like this, but it sounds kind of like this. I think we like each other. I think I kind of love her or he kind of loves me. And so we just want to save some money and move in together. And we want to do pretend marriage stuff. Now you're thinking, Scott's getting really sarcastic here. Not my intent, okay? I'm just talking about what people often say and often what people think. Here's, and I want to be real clear, okay? Here's why God emphatically says, do not do it. Here's why God emphatically says in Scripture, this is sin. Not an oops, it's not a mistake, It's sin. And he says this. Why does he say this? He says this because he loves you in an immeasurable way. Because he wants your very best interests, even when you don't. I'm going to say that again. He wants your very best interests, even when you don't even when you're confused about what those are, even when you're caught up in the moment. He wants what's best for you because he created you. Because he's eternal, like we sang about earlier, he knows the beginning from the end. Because he's the one that actually created marriage, he knows better, much better than you do what's best for you. And so he observes and he goes, 
When people just enter into a sexual relationship before marriage or if they live together or whatever, you're broadcasting a very, very strong message. And God says, here's the message, what you're broadcasting. I don't trust you. It's a contract kind of mentality. I don't trust you. Or based on my track record, I don't trust me. And I don't want a covenant with you. And when you enter in that contractual type way, it creates an atmosphere of holding back, of not being all in, of saying, mm, I better be able to hit eject as painlessly as possible here. And anybody that's been married any length of time, that has a healthy marriage in any degree, knows it's really primarily about trust. Well, you've got that floating around in the background, playing, playing all the time in your mind. It makes it hard. And you will end up with cuts and bruises and scars relationally. But God, let me just say, though, having said that, God is incredibly gracious. He's incredibly merciful. And he can heal when people humble themselves and say, I sinned. I did wrong. I'm sorry for that. And God, would you heal me? He will forgive you. And he will cleanse you. And he will heal you. It's never hopeless, okay? Some of you are listening going, I've made enough bad choices, I think it's hopeless. That is a lie from the pit. But you see, when we go into a relationship like that, and it's like a contract with us, we want to be able to bail and get out as easily as possible. And that really hinders the development of a healthy relationship. So when you're pretending to be married and it doesn't work out, you're practicing divorce. So here's what God is saying in this passage. He's saying biblical covenantal relationship is the best environment to nurture a healthy relationship and marriage. Where you say, I'm all in, and I'm in it for the benefit of the other. I'm into partnership, and I am not looking for a way out. Then you're reminded, for those of us that are married of that day, when you got up before God and you said, from this day forward, for better or for worse, better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live, so help me God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, God also says in his word that a covenant partnership requires godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, when I use the word submission, 
There's people that will often cringe. And you know what? That's totally understandable because the word is so often misunderstood, misused, and abused by ungodly people. That was never God's intent for it to be used in those kinds of ways. So let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, which is over to the right, past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. You come to Philippians or Colossians, you've gone a little too far. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. Verse 21, because he says it's also about godly leadership and mutual submission. So beginning reading there, he's going to talk about the relationship between a husband and a wife. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See all the the covenantal elements in this? Benefit of the other? It's pretty cool stuff. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's other places in Scripture, and we've talked about these, that God sees us in a way where he, we're seen equally because we're in Christ, we're equally loved, we're equally valuable. And then we read, so there's this idea of this mutual submission, but then it says in verse 22, wives sit, submit to their husbands. And some people immediately have a sense of pain because this verse has been abused by ungodly people. This verse does not mean that a man can be a bully or a tyrant. This this verse does not mean that a man makes all the decisions and doesn't include his spouse in any way and just runs roughshod over her. That he doesn't value what she has to say. That's ungodly. That's dictatorship. (laughs) That's not biblical leadership. But in the, in the, in the relationship, there, you value one another. And the wife in the covenantal relationship gives herself to her husband for his benefit and says, my goal in this relationship is to bring out the best in him. And so I will give myself to him. Very different than a dictator. The husband gives himself up like Christ did for the church, which if you spend some time thinking about that, Jesus was all in. All in. He didn't hold anything back. Total sacrifice. 
And the husband is called to bring out the best in his wife for her benefit in the covenantal relationship. He's called on to set the tone and the direction in the home, especially spiritually. And we often don't do that so well, men. We're called on to lead with honor and dignity and to lead by serving first. And the wife serves with him. You know, I'm a little reluctant to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to do it. Debbie and I have a partnership. It's never, ever been, you be quiet and do what I tell you to do. It's let's come together and do what God has uniquely created us to do. So for example, she often knows the way forward better than I do. You know, there's been a few times when I've ignored what she said, always regretted it. And I mean, I have the scars because I didn't listen. Because she said, don't put that person in position of leadership. Ah, it'll be okay. Scars. There is leadership, there is mutual submission, and there is respect. Now someone says, I know what some of you are thinking, ah, that's easy for you in your perfect little world, Scott, your perfect little pastor world. Let me tell you, it's not easy. It's never been easy. Because Satan attacks us as much or more as he attacks any of you. And we are vulnerable to temptation just like you are. We have sinned. Bible says every one of us has. We have hurt each other in our marriage. We have let each other down at times. And you know what? There is extensive and significant drama in our extended family at times. Everybody has a little crazy in their extended family, don't they? And if you don't, Little secret, it's probably you. (laughs) (laughs) There's been very serious health issues for us. Years ago, I thought she was going to die. Nothing they could do. The doctors were outstanding. They did everything they could. We anointed and prayed for her many times. We trusted God for healing, but... She'd lost 40 pounds, maybe 50, I don't even remember. I think she was under 90 pounds. Thought for sure she was going to die. I did. In our role, we're held to high standards, and we should be. Leaders are called to high standards. But we have a blessed marriage. And that's not because I'm a pastor, and it's certainly not because it's been easy. We work very hard at it. Not perfect either. But we have said, we're surrendered to God in this area. We're asking him to fill us with his spirit. 
We're asking us to help us love each other supernaturally. We serve a supernatural God. To love supernaturally. Now, if you don't have that, you can. You can have a blessed and special relationship. And I understand the other person may not play ball. I get it. I know for sure it will never be easy. It means humbling yourself. It means owning your sin. It means sacrifice. It means putting God first, putting your spouse second and your kids third. It means dying to yourself. It means pursuing the other. It means we instead of me. It means I am going to have the covenantal mindset that I'm in this for the benefit of the other, to bring out the best in the other. And it's not about me. And there will be times where you do not feel like doing it, don't feel like loving, don't feel like humbling myself, don't feel like admitting my sin, don't feel like forgiving them because they don't deserve it, and they probably don't. Read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You don't deserve that stuff. It's a decision that God helps us implement for people that may or may not deserve it. Your marriage is not measured by your feelings. That's what the secular culture is preaching at you all the time. And it's a lie from the pit. Your marriage is measured by your commitment and your covenant. And somebody says, and I hear this with some frequency, I'm not happy. We fell out of love. I'm not belittling that. I'm not being sarcastic about it. It can be horrible. I don't begin to understand the pain some of you have or are going through. Because you don't feel love, that doesn't mean you throw in the towel. And ask everybody at home or here to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I can see pretty, I, I can look under the light so I can see pretty well. So I'm gonna ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm gonna ask for those of you that are married or that are maybe engaged or whatever, to um, be willing to consider making a commitment with me. And I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands. And, it, and then you'll put your hands down. I'm just going to pray for you. And I'm going to say this thing from the perspective of a husband and a, you know, a man. So ladies, you're really smart. So figure it out from your perspective, okay? So I won't get the language right if I don't do it from my perspective. But you figure it out. So everybody's head bowed and your eyes closed. And say, I'm asking, would you make this commitment, this pledge, this covenantal type of pledge again? As difficult as it is, I will submit to Christ. I will serve my bride. I will lay down my life for her. I can't control what she does or doesn't do. But I will walk in the Spirit. I will serve her with all my heart. And I will lead towards a common God-honoring vision. If you would make that commitment, just put your hand up before God again. I would like to pray with you and for you. You can put your hand down.
God sees you between him and you. Let me pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for creating marriage. And it's for some people, it's not for everyone. We talked about that earlier in the series, Lord. And that's good. You love each one of us equally. Thank you for that. And so, Father, I want to pray for those that have made this, in a sense, sort of a recommitment to say, I'm, I'm into covenantal relationship, not into a contract. I pray for a fresh anointing in their life. I pray for power from on high to fall on them. I pray that they would have that covenantal attitude and posture in life where I will serve for the benefit of my spouse. And even when he or she does not deserve it, I will love them, I will forgive them, I will serve them. And Father, give us the courage to show the next generation what a healthy marriage looks like. May they see Jesus in us as we seek to love that one that you've put in our life in a way that goes beyond words. So we pray these things now with great anticipation in Jesus' precious name.